We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halloumé. You are listening to Lore Keepers, a lore-building podcast where we talk about eons of history, heroes and villains, and the legends they leave behind. I'm Frank. I'm Carter. And whether you're interested in stories, looking for inspiration in your own world-building, or perhaps you want a piece of the action, we've got something for you. Wow, I am very presentational this morning. <clears throat> this week, we are talking about the Super War. <gasps> yeah, but before we get into that, Carter, how are you doing? I'm doing fairly well. I've been doing some baking. I have, um, I'm out of espresso, so I have to resort to my coffee. Yeah? What are you baking? Uh, I've baked some banana bread. I've baked some biscotti, you know. Oh, dude. I don't even know how I'd go about doing that. Biscotti? It's not something I normally think of, like, as baking. I mean, it's, it's really, it's not that hard. In the end, it's just like a cookie, but it's a cookie you cut. So if you're interested, <laughs> I can send you a recipe. I mean, I might be. Honestly, baking is tricky because as much as I think I would very much enjoy it and there's something very relaxing about it, it's one of those things, it's, it would be yet another hobby for me to try and take up and I think I just need to try and manage the ones I've got. It's also carb heavy. That's true. That is very true. And I only do that now like two days a week, so kind of hard to justify i'd have to pawn off all my baked goods on my friends which hey, this is this I don't is something they would mind that much i mean they, yeah they would they would love you all the more <laughs> but how do you like your cookies like a nice like chocolate chip cookie do you like it soft and chewy or like crispy i definitely prefer soft and chewy i know people who like the the blue chips ahoy cookies the crunchy ones but they're not my thing I, I've, I've always been a fan of the soft and uh, chewy cookies, but I recently had... Have you ever had Tate's Bake Shop cookies? No, I've never even heard of them. Okay, so it's basically like, you know, a bag of like, you would expect like, I don't know, like pretzel chips or something, but it's a bag of cookies mm. and it's like Tate's Bake Shop, chocolate chip cookies. And they are like, they're almost like chips, except it's a chocolate chip cookie and it is cr it's perfectly crispy. And it's, it's very good. Like, they're very easy to eat. All right. Well, we'll check them out. They sound good. I yes. like chocolate chip cookies. I, I mean, I like chocolate chip cookies like some people like dogs. Um, I, I just... I wish that... I want, what I mean is I want to groom it and feed it and, and watch it grow into a fine young animal. So... No. No, I just really like, I, I, I have a fixation. I love chocolate chip cookies. But, I mean, that's fucking, I don't know, put that on my Tinder profile, I guess, for as, as novel and unique of a characteristic. I also love The Office, and I'm looking for a Pam for my gym. Oh my gosh. 
I've actually been on Tinder lately, and I've I've, I've gotten a few <laughs> matches actually, as it happens. Uh huh. And you're, I hate it so much. I, I in one part I hate it so much. Another part is I'm glad I'm successful a little bit, but yeah. holy shit! Yeah, man. Every, Ego booster. Everything you say is true. It's just kind of nuts. I don't know what. It, then there's that other quote. This thing about like you pay for a. Pay for a whore, something, something, something. You know what I'm trying to uh, talk about? What I've seen a lot is like, uh, I'm not, it's like, I'm not grown. I'm gr- I'm a grown up, but I'm not like a grown grown up, which means that I know how to write a dick, but uh, I don't know what taxes are. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is just kind of weird and gross and it makes me slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily the dick riding part, but let's be honest, but it's more just like there's a there's a sense of. I think I'm just a little weirded out by how do you all have the same answers here? Yeah, but also what's going just, on? Just like the quote of it is just kind of weird. And it's like it, it's this like weird middle ground of like saying I'm not an adult, but I know how to have sex. And I'm like, I'm not really comfortable with. Yeah, when you with put saying it that you're way. not an adult, but being like, I want to have sex. I'm like, I'm not really comfortable with this. I want, I want to have sex with adults, please. You say you're 23, and I'm really grateful for that. But I'm also a little bit concerned about the other part of development, which doesn't have anything to do with age. Well, that's great. So baking. Yeah, so that's, that's baking. <laughs> um... Frank, how are you doing? Have you baked anything? Have you seen any lovely ladies <laughs> have I, on Tinder? Have I men? baked anything or readed any dick late recently? Hmm. I mean, you know, or maybe both. You can multitask. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just it's, it's it's fun to you know move about my kitchen in various ways, and as as I move. <clears throat> no, I've been I've been mostly just playing No Man's Sky, pretty much. No, it's been it's I had a whole weekend where. I didn't have anything. I mean, this weekend, I didn't have anything going on. I wasn't going anywhere. And I still don't know whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. But man, my introverted side really got to just live it up. I basically spent several hours in my room playing video games, specifically No Man's Sky, until I eventually just felt gross. But the newest update's very good. It fixes basically the majority of the things that were immersion breaking or things that just got tired in the game before which is fantastic but i mean after doing that for like eight hours two days in a row i feel gross and i need to like i just i woke up this morning i was like i need to actually live my life sorry what'd you say you're ready to ritualistically cleanse yourself with our excellent podcast i mean kind of dude i got up this morning i said all right i'm gonna have a normal ass day i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna make breakfast i'm gonna do the podcast I'm going to I'm going to do this like a normal fucking adult. Also, when the fuck did you get up? Because I, I woke up from a text from you seven hours earlier saying, let's record at nine. I know. I went to bed at probably about, I think, three and I woke up at 830. That's so I'll probably be taking a nap, but it never hits me nearly as bad on weekends as it does during the like an actual weekday. I don't have eight hours of uninterrupted work I need to do. So Fair it's enough. not really that big of an issue. But uh, I think I think I'm ready to get started because I think that the people are ready for us to get started. You know, now that we're rounding out the 10 minute mark here, we'll probably I could could talk about my Tinder profile more. That's yeah. 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 Let's let's not. not (laughs) 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 Okay. 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 (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, this week, uh, we're going to be talking about Carter came up with this. Uh, I don't know how long before the podcast or if you, this is something that you've been mulling over. I mean, I've been watching Harry Potter, so. Right. So and that was kind of some of the context. We're going to be talking about Avon Cordis, but more specifically something that Carter started thinking of as the Great War. And I'm calling the Super War until we have an actually cool name for it. Yep, the war to end all wars. Except it didn't. The really super big and crazy bad war where bad shit happened. Yep, that is the official name. Hmm. So what are we going to get Just just a second. I just got to think about something here. Do I reveal it to you? (gasps) You're you're tantalizing me with a curtain as if I'm a bull and you're a matador. Maybe I do. We'll see. I might I might actually tell you, like, I think it's about time because I think we need to be able to talk about it. And yeah, maybe we do. But for now, let's just kind of move in. We're going to talk about the Great War. I might I might reveal something here. I might break the seal. I'm feeling like I might, but let's it's just magnanimous. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think it's about time and as far as it relates to the campaign that you and I have been running the threshold, I'm not saying it's over and it, we will eventually get back there, but I think we can thread that needle when we get to it. Because you know, this I'm is good. far more relevant at this point than that. Yeah, I'm good playing a player that knows something, playing as a player who knows things that the character doesn't. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> anyways, but, let's, yeah, uh, let's get let's started situate. with the Super War. And, let's situate uh, ourselves a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So, as you, as you said before, Avum Cortis. The right. age of war. Right. We have the, the spire of peace got kind of fucked up, and so it's strife is rife, if you excuse me. <laughs> okay. So the, our war has to be pretty nasty to stand out from the constant skirmishing and bickering of countries and kingdoms as they attempt to grab land or, you know, just kind right. of... You know, exercise this this buildup of energy towards yeah. violence. So, as a refresher for everyone, we're talking about Avon Cordis. What Carter is talking about is that Avon Avon Cordis is not even just known as the Age of War. It is specifically the Age of Conflict. There is something that happens, and this is that capital S something that I'm I hadn't. I heretofore hadn't really been revealing to Carter or anybody else that begins the Avum and nobody knows exactly when it or what it was, but they just know that it started the the process of what is known as Avum Cortis. And as the years go on, conflict is manifest in a far greater amount and a far greater intensity than we see elsewhere. It is an inversion of the sentiments of the Nine Flow. So if the Nine Flow, as a, as a refresher, they're, you know, the magic that... Uh, it's the source of magic in Helome. They encourage empathy because there is a sense of by connecting to and understanding other people's dispositions, the different abstracts that fill each person's life, because the Nine Flow help define dif- dispositions as you as you grow up, um, the basically these things that would normally connect people are actually 
creating divisions. And while obviously both things can happen at any point in time, whatever it is on almost a cosmic level that's supposed to be the glue that, you know, or when sometimes things are separated because of the nine flow and we, we are so clearly aware of our differences, there's, there's the component that where we would normally see the sameness in other people is completely absent from the equation. So people really struggle to connect on any level. And it's not, it's a more systemic chaos than a, than a complete breakdown. It's not all anarchy everywhere, but people need very little compunction to go to war or to even separate from their own family. Feuds are commonplace to the point of, there are there become like different words probably for different feuds and things within families because it's so common for children to not even survive eight or nine years in their parents' house before leaving. Lots of, as a result, lots of childhood gangs, crime rates are very, very rampant in cities. And on so, and those are sort of the more interpersonal scales. On a larger scale, there are these wars that are constantly raging. And Avum Cordis continues for several thousand years. This is like two or three thousand years of this. Which is interesting because we never really talked about what would the the consequences of a continent being under that significant of war, especially in a fantasy world, for thousands of years, and how ravaged the world would have to be. Especially so, uh, especially with the context that Avum Cordis, the Fourth Age, happens after obviously Avum Tertius, the Third Age. The Third Age being, you know, Avum Tertius being a time of high fantasy being a time when there's that whelming, that buildup of all of the magic that was not able to connect with the world because the tributaries weren't in place. Basically, if you don't understand, or maybe this is like something that's kind of far away, or it's been a while since we talked about this, just remember, magic is sourced from the Ethereum, the Divine Realms, and it comes through tributaries into the world. And up until, up and through Avum Secunda, the Second Age, those did not exist they were evaporated the ability for the world to take in magic was completely gone so people had to synthesize their own ways of doing this so very much already there's a story in the blood of helame that is about building bridges and about literally quite literally building a bridge to the heavens so that people could experience normality again or or some semblance of what once was and in doing so, there is a manifestation of, of, you know, that sense of people trying to connect and, and, and reach across divides. And Avon Cordis is completely devoid of this. So what happened between the building of the bridge in the, uh, that began the Third Age, or bridges, and the transition that happens in Avon Cordis? This is kind of, obviously, this is more of an overview because we are now adding and introducing a new element to this mixture, which is this idea of the Great War, something that's occurring. And Carter, tell me, tell me how you feel about this. The moment that you said that, I imagined almost a macro war. The battles and wars within other countries were being manipulated by even higher people than emperors and queens and, and, and people like that. On an even higher level, there was somebody pushing the pieces around. Oh, do we get a Council of Eight? Sorry, the Circle of Eight. Do you know about the circle rate? No, what is that? Okay, so this is actually uh, this is actually already in Halloween. You just don't know it. This is the fun thing about circle rate. Okay, is this something that you've ideated but haven't shared with me? Because no, this is something that is basically set in all D and D worlds. Okay, which by the way, you can have you can have secrets too. 
I know. <laughs> What's the circle of eight? The circle of eight. Uh, have you ever heard of wizards such as Mordekainen or Bigby? Sure. Or... Yeah. The yeah. famous named ones. Uh, yeah. What are some other ones? Tensor, right? Oste, Is Tensor, Tensor one of them? yes. Ost, Ostil or Oswald? Oskil? No. Oskil? O-S-S-K-I-L? Is that one? That might be. I'm trying to think. There's Oskil's, like a snow. It's, oh, Odaluk? Are you thinking of Odaluk? Odaluk's resilient sphere? Yes, Odaluk. That's one. But basically, every, every spell that has a name is typically named after one of the Circle of Eight. It's from like okay. Greyhawk or something. Okay, sure. And the the leader of them being Mordekainen, right? Mordekainen's Magnificent Mansion, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, Mordekainen... He has some other stuff. Mordekainen's Sword, Mordekainen's yeah. Fateful Hound, Mordekainen's Private Sanctum. Yeah, Mordekainen is a... Uh, he is a figure who basically manifests the apex of disassociative wizarding power. A person who has gotten to such high levels of magic and like reality striding that they don't see things as necessarily good or evil or chaotic or neutral or lawful or whatever within if you think about the the alignment grid they yes. they will literally balance things out on a cosmic scale so like they won't actually if angels are going to win a war Mordenkainen will literally step in to prevent it so that this eternal war that's going on between angels and devils and demons will not actually continue or like will continue because he sees it as balance. And that's his ultimate thing was that there's a balance. It's very, yes. uh, is that Taoist? I have no idea. The yin and the yang. Let's say it is. But Anyways, well, whatever it is. So the circle of eight are basically all these named wizards. And by having their spells in your game, they were in your game at some point. That's the, that's the extension. Huh. That's sneaky. Yeah. Okay. So we could have... So they're just very powerful wizards? Yes, they're very powerful wizards who obviously, as very powerful wizards are wont to do, they have their fingers in a lot of pies. I was actually going to ask you, I was kind of hoping that this is what it was, but maybe I, maybe I just assumed too greatly. Is the Circle of Eight uh, directly relate to the eight alignments around true neutral uh it doesn't but it can because that sounds way more cool to me is like people uh, like these different wizards or magicians who know that they have differing positions completely different positions completely opposing positions and they contract themselves to say yes i will fight perpetually and struggle with these other seven individuals for as long as possible and find a replacement eventually or, or whatever and constantly be infuriated by I don't know, five others or maybe at least three others and maybe have five that I feel like I can actually connect to or at least two or so. Let's do it. Let's see. Who's a Mordecai and then is he our neutral boy? I don't know. I mean, I will say there is a figure known as Aramander that I have played with. I think I mostly just liked the name, but when I was first writing in the stuff of, of Helume, I called it Aramander's Cosmological Compendium. I imagined Aramander to be this sort of like these, without even knowing that I was doing it, basically being like, this is the kind of person who would name spells after himself. I mean, I'd love Tim to be on the Circle 8. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, so, okay, so we have, and you're, think, you're thinking that they're pushing the pieces around during Avum Cortis. That'd be cool, I think. Or they could be one of the groups, right? Basically, in your terms as a macro war, it could be that all these skirmishes are either 
you know, coordinated by a single group wanting to achieve their own ends, or it could be two or three opposing super organizations battling each other through proxy kingdoms. No, I actually like this quite a bit. It very much smacks of... I would say the Cold War. I mean, it kind of plays with the same concepts as that I like that Mr. Robot does well, which is, I, I think, is it Sam Ismail? I don't remember who's, who, who the, the writer slash director of, of, of that show is. Mr. Um, Roboto by Styx? Uh, no. Don't no. The, the sh- Mr. You know Roboto. what I'm talking about, that show. You motherfucker. Shit, who is it? Uh, Sam Esmail. Wow, I got that on the first try. Okay, okay. Is that because a reference one- to Moby Dick? I don't know, man. Call You know, the first line of Moby Dick, call me Ishmael. No, Esmail is E-S-M-A-I-L. Okay. It's probably similar name, different spelling, but... I see. Look, the point is, is simply that one of the things that they, they deal in or trade in is this concept of the six or eight men in the room who run the world. And in this situation, yes, it does actually have to be men because that's kind of the problem of patriarchy. Yes. But in How to Make, we can have a lady, Lady Wizard. Right, yeah, an incredibly powerful Lady Wizard that runs the world. I, honestly, I'm actually not against that at all. I think that they don't... I mean, there's not really that same sense of patriarchy in, in the world of Halloween. It, doesn't, it really doesn't actually make even much sense, even. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I think... I like that idea. I don't know if all of them are specifically A, human, or B, even, like, knowing... I think that there's a level where the, this is, if you want to talk about your colorful cast, this is as colorful as it gets. I think maybe one of them is like a dragon or something. You know, another might be an elemental lord. Maybe they're not all, I think that they should be mortal. So maybe they're not dragons or something like that, because I like the idea of this being mortals trying to handle mortal business. There's something that feels a lot more permissive about that than gods or goddesses right like we have pantheons that happens all the time the thing that's interesting about a situation like that when you get something like the illuminati or other secret cultic groups you know uh, i think i mean honestly take your pick of whether it's the illuminati from marvel comics or illuminati from like the real world people who read comics know what i'm talking about i don't (laughs) there's there's something so permissive about the audacity of six or a dozen or however many people some small enough group that you can count them on your two hands. So I guess you have extra fingers if you're counting 12. Whatever, yeah. you get my point. <laughs> that, the, that they would have the audacity to decide the fate of the entire world for everybody and move them and manipulate them all. Yeah. Wow, I just, I just kind of went, on a, went off, didn't I? But I mean, I think it's important to, to draw out what's, what is significant about that concept or, or why that is an attractive idea to play with, especially in an age when we are trading in so much conflict like that. Like they are seeing the conflict and utilizing it in this macro scale way. What are their aims? What are they trying to accomplish? I do think it's the eight. I like that this is where our eight reside. Do the eight exist all the way throughout history? Maybe, maybe not but they certainly exist within Avum Cordis. Yes. Like, are there aims to just perpetuate war, to end the wars? Do they see it as something that just needs to happen? Um, I think they have an aim. I don't know what that aim is. You can mm. maybe help me with that, but... I mean, I think it, I think it might be time. Oh. I, I think it's time to, to, to reveal this, so who knows? Maybe this isn't actually that big of a deal, but I think I'll explain what my thoughts around Avum Cordis was. 
Okay, so essentially it comes back to the aspects. The aspects are something we've talked about somewhat. They're they're like a a flaw in 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 fate and capital P plan as it manifests the idea of destiny. They're they're a they're a they're the joker in the deck, if you will. For the most part, they don't really have any place, or their place is every place. But the the main thing is is that they. So it, it, just as a refresher, there the aspects were the individuals who re- resided in the first city before it was immolated during the Ash Curse. The Ash Curse was, you know, the cataclysm that broke the world. And they were, I think in the past I've seen them all as humans, but I don't even know if human necessarily, They, I think maybe they were all humans. Essentially, humans, unlike in, in just about every other version of fantasy, the thing that they have unique that um the other races don't is destiny in a way that the other races are derivatives of. So they were meant... The original plan that Owen had was that they were meant to become gods, essentially. Um, Literally, to be aspects, to to be the manifest, essentially like demigod or or little god, little g-god of an aspect of reality. So wind or air or... Wind. (laughs) Or even a sentiment. Clarity. That could be one, you know, that could be that could become a person's name and then their full identity. And then it would be their basically role for the rest of time to oversee that clarity continues to work well. And who knows what happens after that? Like that might be the first 30 or 40,000 years of existence. And then maybe there's another step. But Owen's initial plan was to basically not just have this pantheon. They were essentially just the curators, the caretakers to look after the growth of these these and the tending almost of these other beings that were then to be known as aspects right but all of that changes when the ash curse hits so there are these like forestalled destinies that no longer will take place and this they disappear during avum secunda there are no aspects during avum secunda um that that might we might come back and i might rescind that thought later as to how i would make that work but the thing that was significant was that the same tributary that brought back magic brings back the aspects and the aspects start to be able to be reborn into the world. And essentially what it is, is that there is this crystallized identity, something, a granule of nature, capital N, about themselves that gets grafted onto a soul as it's being developed. And then like when that person is born. So that starts happening in Avum Tertius. And this is actually one of the reasons why we see it as a time of whelming. The low-level reason that a lot of people don't know, and I don't think we've ever really talked about like this before, is that it's not just because magic is back, it's also an age of heroes and villains because the aspects are unique in their ability to take hold of magic and grow in it like, like that, like super, super fast. The aspects, what ends up happening is that the destiny of the universe has sort of gone off on its own direction. And in the time that they were gone, there are like these relics of the past that tug tug at the fabric of reality and pull it in errant ways. This is where things get a little blurry. And the reason why is because I haven't had anybody else to verbal process with this or, or talk it over. 
Mm-hmm. But here's here's essentially what I think happens. So around the time of Avum Tertius, which I believe, I want to say Avum Tertius was not quite 10,000 years. It was a long time. Maybe it was only three or 4,000 years. I don't remember. I'll have to look that up. But whatever the case is, towards the end of it, we have the, the second casualty, right? The blinding of the stars. Yes. That's something that we'll have to return to. But essentially, stars in the sky are aspects that haven't been born into the world. All the visible stars are directly related to a star goes out when a person is being born that has an aspect's nature grafted into them. Yes. Astrologers will literally use this to divine the future. Something happens with the fabric of reality. And I think, I don't know what exactly, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it has something to do with the second casualty, but it breaks. There's a breaking point where the presence of so many aspects show up and or disappear from the sky or whatever it is, they cause a tearing of the fabric of reality, of fate, really. Not just the fabric of reality, really more, not the fabric of reality as much as the fabric of fate and destiny. And destiny is not even something that necessarily is for everyone. It's more like, it's more like a large river and destiny is one course that all of reality takes. And there's sort of like a faded way that all things are supposed to occur. But within that stream, every current might be chaotic and different every time. So overall, history is just kind of faded to go the same way every time. However, every individual within that is like a little current within the larger river. Okay, so establishing all of that, even Cordis is something where things go horribly wrong. And whatever the the binds are that connect people together, those no longer exist. And it's because essentially the aspects are present in a time when they're not supposed to be. And so this starts to cause at first minute little disruptions in people's relationships with each other and connections with each other, but get bigger and bigger. It's like if somebody came through and used a tweezers to pull a couple of the threads out of a spider's web. And then the spider goes and you know, spend some time and rebuilds that. And then they come back through again and again until eventually every five minutes they are going through and plucking threads until it comes to a point where nobody can make any bonds with anyone else. And that is a result of basically the aspects being present. Now, this all connects to why the dragons are no longer present in the world of Halloween. Oh, shit. And even Quintus. Essentially what happens is the dragons at some point catch sight of this happening. They have diviners and people, you know, you know the, the dragon kin among them looking into this. And they're like, why? We're looking at mortals and we're somewhat di- like separated from this. But even we are having trouble with our connections with each other, like our bonds. Despite how incredibly powerful the magic is within us, we still are finding ourselves sowing even more discord than before. And yes, we were solitary, but we always had councils or groups uh, that could connect to each other. It's not just mortals that are being affected by this. This is something that is seriously wrong with reality itself. So what they do is eventually they do their investigation. They research, they look into it, whether the aspects are aware of it or not. That is the reason why this is happening. Oh, I remember now what the blinding of the stars is. The Dingier? You know the Dingier, Carter? Yes. 
Yes, I do. So for people who are unfamiliar, I don't know if we ever talked about this, the Dingier are one of the few <laughs> races of 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 Halume that I think are pretty much singular. They're essentially aspects that have taken on cosmic flesh. So instead of being born naturally into the world, they basically step through a cosmic gate and and take on a form and are being born like born into the world sort of fully formed with yeah with all of their nature the blinding of the stars the second casualty that the that the average pedestrian or person knows is an event of horror that must have happened because of something terrible was actually because the dingier figured out a way to step into reality and as a result there was a huge exodus of stars leaving the sky and all of them being born and in and come into the world and are all living together in the same space so that's like that's basically what the blinding of the stars the second casualty is a lot of people view it as this event of like oh no it's great bad portents because time like things have, have must have fallen apart for all of these stars to suddenly go out but really what it was was consumed them or something what yeah, the, right. Yeah, people say the nameless one consumed them or something. Right, like you know, gaped and ate the stars. I think at the time, astrologers would have been extremely concerned by this and be like, "The universe is dying" or something. Like we don't really understand what's going on out there, but we know that it's bad. But really, I mean, I think that the reason why the Dingier were doing this was a very specific thing. I don't know if we want to get into that now. I don't even know if I. I feel like I might have some better notes. I think it all ties in, but I'm just going to keep moving on here. So this happens. This all happens. And essentially, the dragons realize what's happening, figure out that it's because the aspects are not, like, that they've all had this mass exodus, and basically decide that the only way to cause these bigger and bigger waves on the fabric of reality that is becoming more and more chaotic to the point where it's is reaching a breaking point where it could never be repaired from it, is to eliminate all of the Dingier from the world. But not just kill them, because killing them isn't enough to take them out of reality, because then they just become stars again. They have to literally be removed from the fabric of reality or contained somewhere, put away in a disconnected pocket of, uh, like, a bubble that separates from the whole. And so what they do is they bring together all of their greatest, you know, proto-dragons, the ones like of the greatest power from the oldest times, the ancients, the ancients of ancients. And together they pull all of their power to cast an age spell, which we've talked about. You can check the podcast description that then freezes all living creatures in their place, except for the Dingier and the dragons. And so essentially, what happens is that time continues. The planet continues to revolve around Yadiel. The world, day and night, continue to happen. But there is... Everybody is sort of frozen in their place and protected, their souls protected by a shell of magic. And as the hunting continues for the Dingier, basically, reality won't resume its normal state until it reaches a certain, like, quotient, essentially, that will take time even after the Dingier, basically you need to let the chaos play itself out until you like letting a storm pass, if you will. And so they sheath everyone in basically these temporal skins that freeze them in place. And then they start 
consuming the dingier and locking them away somewhere so that they can no longer touch reality. And all of this is occurring while everyone else is frozen in time. Every, every creature, every bug, every blade of grass, every, every being, they're all frozen temporally as the dingier are being hunted across the world and also across realities. So they don't just affect Siddhar, they affect all time streams with this because it all needs to be repaired at once. But in doing so, the dragons essentially condemn themselves similar to what happened with the Drakenfall, except this time it's with both the good and the bad dragons, all of them working together, you know, the, the chromatics and the metallics. Yeah. All of them working together to cast this one massive age spell that results in the eradication of every single Dingir. One of the side effects is essentially that the world is a lot older than people think it is because it's had a few hundred years, maybe even a thousand. I, I'm thinking, honestly, the number sits in the 700 range. Yeah. Is, is that much like older than people actually think it is because everyone was frozen in time as they continue to just... So like the movement of, of stars and, and that all... Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's that is the overarching what is going on during Avum Cordis on the macro scale. All of that to prevent the little things in the day to day that are causing war after war after war. And it's not ending and it's not getting any better. And nobody's, you know, at first people think that it's just it's in the nature of people to fight. But they know that's not true because they know they've seen both good and evil in Avum Tertius. And it's never been like this before. So well, there you go. That's, don't that's forget kind that. What's going on with Avon Cordis? The Spire of Peace also was fucked up at this time. Right. So the Spire of Peace does come into this. Um, that was kind of before I had revealed this. And I think that that does actually happen. I, I can't, it makes me wonder how to weave that in. And I think we'll figure out a way to kind of make those two things work copacetically. I think there's a way actually to make them work incredibly well together. Um, that there's a very strong association. I'm just not sure what it is yet. But ultimately, with all of that, I think that this very much relates to the idea of the eight, um, because on this macro, this massive macro, we already scale, have the nine and the seven, so let's make <laughs> it the circle of eight or circle. Right, sure. Or you know, we don't even have to call them the eight. We could just call them the circle or something. Yes. Um, not everything has to be a number. Um, but with the circle, I think that they. I don't think that any of them are dragons, but I think that there is maybe a like a, an interaction, a relationship with the draconic host hosts, I should say, the different flights, because they maybe know that this is happening. I mean, if anyone's going to be aware or even immune to this kind of magic, it would be the greatest spellcasters. You know, right. sitting in their lofty, magically protected towers, they may not. <clears throat> even their wards may be effective enough to to like time does not stop for them so long as they're in their tower kind of thing that'd be interesting yeah that is actually kind of an interesting idea i've never thought about like pockets that were immune to that i think the thing is is i'm not i'm not discounting it but what i will say is that the only way to heal all of reality is if every part of reality is is allowed for its chaos to play out at once so maybe it maybe that does happen it might actually just be disastrous for the circle that they destroy each other and over those those spans of centuries that everything else is frozen because the chaos is kind of like a 
a gas, I guess, and it fills the container of whatever size it's in. This is sort of like, it was like a release valve. What they were going to do is they're going to take all of that pressure and stick it in one box and, and, and disconnect the box from the hole, just jettison it, right? The, what ends up happening, I think, is then if, if that chaos, instead of being spread across the entire world, is sits only within those different towers where the eight, sorry, the circle live, then they are experiencing the chaos of an entire army or an entire multiple armies every hour for the entirety of that time. So it wouldn't be good for them, I don't think. But what I will say is, is that whatever this is, this is by far the most powerful spell ever cast because it took with it the entire race of all dragons. Dragons don't exist anymore in Avum Quintus because literally every single one of them and their progeny, like, it, it's not a good thing, but like, yeah, literally all of them, the young, the old, all of their energies were pulled together to basically save reality. Well, there you go. I think that the circle might be working against this, honestly. Wouldn't surprise me, because I don't think the dragon's like explaining what they're doing to mortals, and I don't think the circle want to be manipulated by dragons. That's actually a good point, because I was trying to think about like, why wouldn't the dragons just tell people that this is what was going on? I mean, I think maybe on one part, it's up to them to then make the hard decision, or they see themselves as those who were initially the caretakers of the mortals in the, in the absence of the gods, they were supposed to look after them. Yeah. It could just be like, you don't explain everything you're doing to your kids. Right. Exactly. It's like, that actually is a good analogy. I can't really get, do any better than that. That's actually a good. Oh, so, train. but I think, I, well, yeah, you got a train in your audio. Yep. Let's let's build on this though, because I wanna I wanna connect it strongly to the circle. And I think specifically the circle might be maybe the other side of that coin. They're like, let mortals tend to the business of mortals. How dare you stand in the gap and think that you have the audacity to make a decision like that for all of us? We're going to stop you. So so be it if it's war, we will let it play itself out and only let mortals guide their own destiny regardless of the dingier yeah or the idea of like you know uh will the mortals will let will take care of us and if the immortals want to be hands-on we'll listen to you know the angels and the um gods the oh i've lost it what's the name <laughs> of uh those who oversee the uh oh the regions the regents there we are and the regents, like they can tell us what to do, but you're just. But it's us to up to decide whether we listen. You're like trying to take that power away from us, something that the gods never did. I think that's exactly. interesting enough. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any ways to, because what we're looking at here is very much, yeah, those are some of the larger themes here. Free will. Is it is it better to have free will and to not have that choice taken away from you, knowing that it will probably lead to the doom of all not just the knowing, but of reality itself? Or is free will that important? And the question is, like, did the dragons take away free will, or is it just this is, you know... Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the Circle saw it as that, is like, it's, it's not your right to meddle in our affairs, and yes, we are the... I mean, I think it's very arrogant of them, because it's like, yeah, yes. we are the greatest of, in their minds, of all of the knowing, or maybe even just of mortals. Maybe we're the greatest of mortals. 
and since we're presidents, we're all presidents, we as presidents get to decide what happens to mortals, not you. You can tend to the you can tend to the the affairs of dragons. Yeah. So how this relates to the super war. Yeah, this is, we've got like ten minutes. <laughs> well, I think ultimately I think this is the super war. I think that the circle works through its many, many like fronds, its many connections throughout the entirety of the world and realities in general, and I think is pushing back against the dragons. Maybe they detected the dragons like gearing up for their spell and then manipulated armies and kingdoms to be like, hey, that dragon is going to help the other side. You better slay it. Okay. Okay. This is this is actually here's here's actually something. This might not okay. actually be that bad. So age spells, right? We've talked about them before. Check the podcast description. They require individuals to basically act like the limbs of a sympathetic being much larger than themselves in order to cast. They become sort of the somatic gestures through their entire existence in different locations at different times. And moving through the movements, they can provide that convection necessary for creating the buildup of the spell that can then be released, right? Yeah, and... Let's say the limbs, the people involved or the beings involved mm-hmm. uh, can contribute far more, obviously, if they're magically inclined and right. if they're aware. So what if the dragons all across the realities are slowly building up this age spell and the super war continues to cause armies to end up at the doorsteps of dragons for whatever reason, to try and prevent or, well, stop the dragon because, you know, dragons are terrifying and fearsome, and of course you want to kill a dragon if you're the Avum Cortis in the Age of Conflicts. It's just assumed. It's been thousands of years like this. But that there is, on the greater scale, what's actually happening is they're arriving on the doorsteps of dragons to prevent or hinder, hamper the age spell from taking place. And so by continuing to kill off the dragons or at least assault them, they're preventing them from being able to continue their age spell. Yes. And so it's like this incredibly slow process of literally thousands of years of the dragons fighting to complete age spell. And I think that they're creating back doors. I mean, I think that in order to make the spell work, nor with a normal spell, and I think with most age spells, if you screw it up at any point during the process, you can, you know, too badly, you can cause the whole thing to become unstable and it falls apart because it's like, I was going to say it's like building lace, but it's like building lace out of cotton candy filament. Like it can just dissolve like that if you're not careful. Yeah. And so I think that the dragons, they, they, I mean, but they're the most you know brilliant and magically inclined of any creatures. They easily, they guaranteed every single one of them hits ninth level spells at some point in their life. I think that they create enough back doors and stuff with as wise and you know min- numerous as they are that it becomes this play of a pushing of forces over the course of decades and centuries uh, trying to hinder or cut off different points and the circle has agents where they are discovering oh shit we didn't realize this but hidden in this underground underwater cave you know in this location near the sea elves this dragon has actually been slowly working this the whole time and it becomes like yeah almost like a like a game to some yeah and i think that in the beginning when the dragons began this spell 
they didn't think that it would lead to the extinction of their species, mm -hmm. but because so many of them were picked off by the circle, mm -hmm. that's why it happened. Less and less resources. Maybe exactly. before it was like, we will still have flights or at least remnants of flights to build our race back. And yes, many of us are making a sacrifice, but it's literally necessary, not just for the mortals, but literally just for anyone to survive. This has to happen. And nobody else is powerful enough. Nobody else can do it. The gods are powerful enough, but they're distant. They cannot reach reality in the way that we can. They don't have the spanning relationship. They don't have the proliferation that we do. Nobody else has the hierarchy that we do only we can actually make this happen which is the same kind of pride that comes before the fall you know like pu putting yourself in a position where i am literally the only one capable is a very draconic thing to do that doesn't surprise me at all that of course they would see things that way but also it only can exist like that because there is some level of truth to it the mortals are busy fighting against each other constantly it's hard enough for the dragons to coordinate this stuff I think probably the first steps were even to just figure out a way to assuage the chaos to a point where they could work with each other. Oh, I have an idea, Frank. Yeah? What do you got? So you know how fantasy loves exceptions. Sure. Yeah, so all the time. What if this, ha what if this happened? Um, in the last, like, 24 hours, one of the more chaotic members of the circle was, like, knew that they were going to fail the dragons were going to succeed and in the last ditch effort like went by themselves to take on one of the most powerful dragons not the dragon not the platinum dragon or the you know the dragon king or queen not neither of them the hearth king or the what's the queen called oh something empress yeah the the not so not the hearth king or the empress but like just one power level down because he's like i know i can't handle them but if I take out this key one, maybe the spell will oh, fail. A linchpin. Yeah. I like that idea, though, of like a linchpin. Exactly. I've even thought of in a story there being like an oracle that the Hearth King and uh, what is her actual name? Like the Empress of Tyrants or something? Sure. It's a cool name. I don't remember what it is. I think we'll call her the Empress of Tyrants for now, but just the Empress uh, that they go to to basically work with because i mean initially the chromatics don't want to work with the uh, or the well neither want to work with the either but the reason why they are convinced to work together is because they tr they both trust this one oracle the leaders of both groups they both trust this one oracle and the oracle convinces without a, a shadow of a doubt as a diviner what will happen if they don't do it and I think, furthermore, they might even promise that the uh, the, ty the Empress of ty Tyrants, that her children, not the Metallics, will rule the world sometime in the future. And for dragons, that's like years from now instead of eons, because they, you know they just see time differently. Yes. So I like the idea of maybe it's not the or maybe it is the Oracle. Maybe there's you know what what it could be is. The circle, there might be prophecy. There's like a prophecy that says essentially that, you know, this person will be slain or this dragon will be slain and it will upend the whole spell and the spell will be lost or something like that. And maybe either the prophecy is false or 
that they misread it and think it's this other dragon instead or something like that. You know, like they get super, super close, but they end up yes. choosing door one instead of door two. You know, but, the car's behind <clears throat> door two. So this is what I think happens. Is, you know, they step into door two, whatever it is, or door mm -hmm. one. And it is the Oracle. Like, it was the person that they wanted, to, the dragon that they wanted to find. Mm -hmm. And, there, you know, a battle commences. And basically, think... Um, the the circle wizard casts you know like a ninth level counter spell at the height of the spell in an attempt mm -hmm. to destroy it mm -hmm. or a ninth level dispel magic i guess i don't know would a counter spell i don't think a counter spell would work like that in that situation this is closer to enchanting but yeah sorry anyways during this battle yes yes ninth level and then the 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 dragon oracle themselves counter spells that right because mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Hashtag wizard battle is just counterspells. You flip yeah, through. dispel magic. Somebody counterspells that. The guy counterspells that. The dragon I mean, counterspells that. And then there's a final attempt at a counterspell or something. Yeah, that basically what fails. happens is that their magic for like this instant is connected. Oh. And that's the instant it goes off. And so basically what happens is both of them, their magic gets used, but they both get protected by the temporal shit shell oh yeah and so i think that wherever this is they're both still there oh dude that's so cool yeah. that like it the shell hardened into some sort of carapace or something where they're like crystallized in in fight even though like the flames are wicking and you can like touch them and feel the heat radiating off them but they are frozen in time or something and there's like this monument to them you know people can touch the claws of the dragon and feel how sharp they are that's yeah, cool it's like some I'm sort of sure ruined cathedral been, somewhere or something like that i'm not sure if it's been found yet and maybe it will be found. yeah maybe it world. hasn't probably hasn't but but i think they're both still there and you know no one really knows if they're alive if they're dead because it's just like uh -huh. this has never happened before like <laughs> like the skin is still warm to the touch but there's no if there's a heartbeat, it, you can't measure it. You know, there's, there's no heartbeat because it's literally not happening. But, you know, their skin is still like there's a presence of the same energies of life. And yet there's no movement, no interaction. I will say, I think it has been discovered, but I think it's later in Avum Quintus. I just like the idea. I think it's so it's so fucking Avum Quintus of them to find the remnant of this incredibly epic battle and then use it to sell T-shirts. And I think that's what basically happens. Museum is that yeah, it becomes like a museum, and people don't even know what it is necessarily. But like, there's like stories around it, or that there was all throughout even Cordis, there were great wars fought against dragons who were trying to kill all of you know all of the knowing, and it was these brave circle, the the brave circle. It is said who protected all of you know the knowing by. <laughs> by killing the dragons or so, you know so much misinformation it's like how we understand wars now from hundreds yeah. of years ago then they're selling it as you know you get you know you can get your keychain of these two and locked in eternal battle one of the circle of you know one of the circle and and this incredibly powerful dragon oracle or something oh, i yeah, love that like, that's great you can basically get like get you know take your magical photography with like the guy and you're like thumbsing up and he's like you know in his like cool stance shooting a spell and you're like, right hugging yeah him or whatever i know i know yeah it's so great you know careful do not you know don't touch the eldritch blast 
you will you will cause you know leprosy to start sprouting on one of your fingers or something super leprosy yeah super leprosy from a super wizard i will say i don't think that it's necessarily in some big city or anything like that i think this is still you know pretty out of the way but there's a small town that's sort of been built up around it as sort of a pit stop a what do you call that a tourist attraction it's a tourist attraction on the side of the road it's a big ass one it's like I don't know, the Arch, maybe, in St. Louis or something that, you know, of that size. There's a fucking inn called, like, the Dragon and the Wizard. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, you couldn't come up with the original name. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, that's so good. Or there's, there's like, yeah, there's two inns, or there's a couple inns around here. One of them is called the Dragon and the Wizard, and then the other is just called... Now, maybe it's just the Dragon and the Wizard. I kind of like that idea. There's, there's the Dragon and the Wizard, and the Wizard and the Dragon. <laughs> You can buy dragon bones that they swear are made from the same material, and they're just yeah. polished pieces of petrified well, wood or something like that. Yeah, like petrified wood or like fucking just like marble. It's like here you go. Yeah, look how heavy they are. Yep. Well, I love this because it means that peppered. So kind of just like looking at this whole super war, that it is just the vice manipulation of. And there's a lot of, I think, I don't think I'm really rooting for either the Circle or the Dragons in this situation. I don't want them to kill my precious Dingir. I think that ultimately they're helping the situation, but it's not like, these are just, it's, it, it more reminds me of two super companies squabbling over something than anything else. Obviously, it's a pretty reasonable thing to squabble over when you have, I don't know, those mega corporations that own everything, that own like Coca-Cola that are pushing pushing pieces around the board. I'm not really rooting for either of them. I just understand that sometimes things are necessary. Yes. But I do like this. I like the idea that they're systematically killing off all of the dragons to the point where they know that if they kill enough off, not only will the age spell potentially not, you know, not have enough limbs to basically make it go off, but it also won't have enough energy that they don't actually have. Maybe there's like a yeah, sympathy and- that all dragons share within their flights. That actually would yeah, kind of make sense. Because, racial tide pool. Yeah, it's like their racial tide pools, and then that is all then filtered through the Platinum, the, you know, the Hearth King and, and the Tyrant Empress. The fact that the two of them become then the, the contact points for all of their flights because they are the only ones that are of all of those at once. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's... I think there's not much else to say. Yeah, I mean, kind of blew our load there. Collectively. Our shared load. The the Super War. um, Do we have a better name than that? um, The Circle Jerk. The Circle Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot actually name it that. (laughs) Fuck, but I think I think people refer to that. I think there are some very cynical, very high-level historians who refer to it as the circle jerk, who who don't have a lot of I mean, here's the thing. I think this is this event is almost entirely unknown. The circle don't have any interest in revealing to people the fact that they are manipulating the entire world. You know, it's yeah. better to work from secrecy. And I think that the dragons had didn't see any reason to inform people. So I think that this event is almost entirely unknown. So it could simply be the um, 
What's a nice name for like the secret war, the forgotten war, or something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think as lore keepers, we have a name for it. Yeah. I think maybe the clandestine affairs or something like that. Ooh, could be maybe um, like, um, oh, bellum. Maybe it's like... Um... Yeah, bellum's a good word. Also, dragons are very uh, Latin uh, in their in their roots in Halume, so using a word like bellum totally works. It could be like bellum obscurum, or or like bellus fort furtivus. I like bellum obscura. Yeah, it almost is poetic the way that it sounds. It almost sounds really? romantic, which actually feels very apt because the people who would discover it would. Think of it as this mystical, strange uh, series of events that, you know, happened over a glacial rate. When in, in, in reality, it would have never been named that by those who were actually in it. Yeah, maybe we see, like, you know, one of the circle who, like, you know, was one of the, one of the few who were like, you know, I think that the dra what the dragons are doing comes from the right place, but they should have consulted with us kind of thing. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that... Maybe they penned the tome of the Bellum Obscura and then, like, you know, put it in a super secret vault somewhere. Right. Well, it's not like they even asked, I don't think. You know, they didn't even reach out to them. Maybe they initially, they had a contact that was interacting with them, but the dragons have their own networks. And I think that they, they basically had their own society equal to and greater than the entirety of the span of the knowing, of all of the mortals even. And it was just operating as this additional layer of social reality separate from all the cultures of the worlds. Just, it was like if aliens coexisted among us and humans had stopped trying to interact with them because their understanding of reality was so different. Are you talking about the circle or the dragons? The dragons. Okay. Like, they are so, they're just they're so unreachable or their, their sentiments of the way that they interact with the world are so beyond us that if aliens landed on our planet and we, after the wars and after everything, gave it a couple hundred years and just sort of let them be, but stopped trying to trade or do anything maybe more than trading with them or occasionally interacting with them. It'd be like a foreign country that existed among us at all times. Yeah, I think uh, one of the circle is associated with Roark and utilize some resources from Roark in the attempted extermination of dragons. Did Roark, remind me, did Roark exist during Ape and Cortis? Is that what it I, was? I believe it did. Um, I think it, it might have been early Ape and Cortis because it was after the collapse of the Eldian Imperio and then they went around and basically said, you know, during the land grab of all of the different elven kingdoms trying to fight over it i think they that was when what's her name separated right yes oh uh wasn't winners uh we need to go to our fucking wanville and let me quickly check because I, I i have an article on war arc it does not mention when it was founded oh the win that's not that's not that big of a deal i was just looking for well we do know that um uh, Dormanlock was founded previous to it. Previous to Avon Cortis? Previous to Warwick. Oh, yes. Well, whatever the case is, I think that might actually be correct. Because that sounds right. 
I don't think Rorark even exists anymore in Avum Quintus. I think that it's, I think it was just during Avum Quintus. I'd be curious like to, to see what's I, there now. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it got destroyed because we talked about before. It's kind of descent into necromancy. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that wasn't even that long into it. Yeah, that was like 60 years in. They were like, hey, we've got all these dead bodies. Might as well use yeah, them. Yeah, that was after Corinne. Corinne died. Yeah. Oh, Corin Aliker. That's her name. Yeah. Corin Aliker. Right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I was going to say is that the Bellum Obscura didn't necessarily begin. God, that's such a great name. I love it, yep. dude. You, you are very good at naming things. It didn't begin when Avon Cordis began. It began a long time afterwards. And I think that... So the second casualty ex happened at the beginning of Avon Portis, right? The first few centuries were not so bad. I mean, yes, there was wars fought and people uh, uh, fighting over a broken up empire. The Eldian Imperio, right? Fell, fallen apart by then. Um, yes. But it had, it had gone from the hands and mouths of the elven royalty down to... Anybody who, any elf who could pick up a sword and get some people behind him to then down to the rest of the mortals from there during Avon Cordis, right? The branding no longer, I mean, branding was still happening to humans, but it was something that humans were trying to escape from and stuff. And so they actually could speak and carry on, you know, civility with each other and, and not like being mute lacks that from you, but it does take a huge part of it away. And during that time, I think there's there were wars that were being built up and fighting before. Like, I think the circle was actually the last to catch on. I think the dragons figured it out within the first thousand or so years and then started to do research in their patient way to how to make it happen. Yeah. And it was only after that that sometime into the research, probably first hundred years or so that the circle, which by now, I think. I know we're, we're supposed to be rounding up here, but I do have one other question I got to ask. Okay. But, but I'll finish this thought first. Basically, the circle figure this out and then say, wait, hey, why weren't we informed? And they said, why would you be? And they said, well, fuck you. And they said, we don't actually care about you enough to say fuck you too, so bye. Oh. And, and then the circle gets pissed and then they say, fine, you know what? We're going to start... What, what, if we, what if we went after one of these... like?" you know, hindered this or something. Look, first they look into it. They see what's happening. They realize, well, we got to stop this. They're doing some sort of age spell. Maybe we don't know exactly what it is yet. You know, they look into it later, figure out exactly what's going on. But by then they're already in a full scale, you know, using, figuring out how to use the armies and push against, yeah, the dragons. Yes. Okay, so I do have one last thing. Do you have any last things that you want to explore? Nope. It's, it won't take long. You get it. Okay. Were the circle magically immortal, or did they call for replacements ever? I think the answer is yes. Mm, that is the best answer you could have given. Honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't sure, but I actually, I think I know exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. It's both? Yes. Yeah. That makes sense to me. There are, on occasion, this is how I'm interpreting that, on occasion, they were killed and battle or over some crazy experiment or something happened and a new one was elected from the ranks of the most apt, uh, apt magicians in reality as long as they were mortal and carried the same alignments and then people kind of just continued 
So there's maybe, I don't think it happened a lot though. It's probably like, there's probably no more than 25 of the circle throughout its existence. Yeah, it's, prob- it's probably typically eight, but it's, its numbers have probably changed. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Playing with the alignment a little bit there, because I think they are ascribed to the alignments. Maybe the circle sometimes contained a true neutral, a mediator. I think so. And then the mediator probably got killed because it's Avum Cordis. Yeah, and you know some. And here's a qu- here's my last thing. Then, since you got one, uh, is the circle still around in Avum Quintus? That was I was hoping you were asking that because I was like, oh, I want to ask that question, but I already did my last one. I I don't know. I kind of like the idea of saying it was something that died with Avum Cordis. Maybe there have been efforts to try and bring it about again, but it it never really took off. Maybe literally just separate efforts, not even maybe even ignorant of each other. Powerful wizards thinking that they're powerful enough to to do this, not really realizing that the thing that they would never record because it was the Bellum Obscura was the fact that the circle's greatest assets weren't necessarily even in the fact that they were all archmages, but in the fact that they were master commanders that they were able to manipulate hosts. Yeah. I think that there are some groups that see themselves as successors to the circle, but I don't think anybody truly has brought about the same kind of tour de force that the circle possessed. What was our Wonderwall group? The enchanters that run around? The Order of the Vivid Precipice. That's the one. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about them. I was thinking that they maybe consider themselves to be of that caliber because there's no written record to compare to of this circle. The circle more, there probably are reports or things that exist that talk about them, but yeah, there isn't like a lot of, there isn't actually a lot of formal information about them. I agree. Okay, well, we should probably call it. This has been one of our longest episodes yet. It's a good one, though. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration into the land of Shadar and their realms beyond. (laughs) If you like us, give us a five-star rating, or better yet, tell others about us. Tell tell your super wizard friends. If If you know anybody who works for big companies, you should... Tell Jeff Bezos. Just tell your boss. Tell the assistant manager. Uh, tell um, Bill Gates. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe tell your, tell your dragon friend. Yep. And maybe don't tell them because they're an asshole to you. And they don't actually care. They're not actually your friend. Yeah. Each week we offer a piece of the episode to share with you, the listener, meaning that your contribution can become Halloumian canon. It's time to decide, what is our offering this week, Carter? I think it's... It's the members of the circle. Hmm. Okay. Like All right. We have there's we can say there's eight of them. Like, give us one. Like, what are they? Man? Are they a woman? Are they an elva? An elfin? Are they? You're gonna go through all the gender nominatives of each uh, each race. Yep. <laughs> are they a nim or a nam or a, a hit or a hail? A dwed or a dwar? Are they a drawer or a dwar? <laughs> Those are different races. A drar, D-R-A-R, is a dragonborn male. A dwar, pronounced differently, mind you, is a male dwarf. 
There you go. Look, they can't all be... They, they can't they all be great. different. They can't all be amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, you can send your responses to at the Lorekeepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com with your idea for this week's offering. Our Twitter is also a great place to find dank nugs, news, and musings in the world of Halloume. And our email is partafay for questions of all sizes you'd like us to address. Finally, thanks to Josh Silka for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lorekeepers theme. And thanks to you all for listening. Until next time, don't forget, there are always more uh, dragons to kill? Wars to battle. There you you battle a war, right? That's what you do in the war? Yep. yep. That's, okay. the, that's the appropriate verb, battle, not a war. You don't war a war. Maybe well, we, Egypt? Yeah, yeah. We got, PB, we got PBS at the end there. See ya. Bye.